0: It's gone! It's a grand slam! And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. Your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell.
1: Welcome to the Prospects Baseball Show, episode lucky number 13. My name is Dean Millar. Jordan Blondell is with me as well. And here are the three big things we are going to hit on in today's program. The Prospects met with the city of Edmonton last week. We'll dive into that. We'll, the, uh, we'll, we'll head into the dog days of summer as the Okotoks dogs take the WCBL title. And we will look at the best pitching staffs in Major League Baseball. And we get it all started by going around the horn.
2: Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada, bada.
0: Got him looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball.
1: Okay, Jordan, uh, last week we spoke with uh, your team owner in Pat Cassidy, who was planning on meeting with the City of Edmonton on Thursday. Um obviously uh, I'm not expecting you to share all the secrets but can you give us a um a kind of a thumbnail sketch of how things went last week with uh, Pat meeting with the city and and maybe where things stand with the future of Remax Field Yeah
2: for sure Dino uh you know I think the meeting was was a positive one um uh, you know the city's got a lot of things they need to sift through and work through um with another proposal obviously and you know they have some things to consider so um, I know our organization respects that process. You know, we, we would have liked to not have to have done that and, and been the, the group, obviously, uh, who wouldn't want to be in that position, but, um, we respect what they have to work through. It's a, it's a process and they have to follow the guidelines that they've set out for themselves through these things with city facilities. So, uh, but the indication was it was a positive meeting. Uh, a lot of different things were discussed. Um, you know, I don't think anything was a, a was a curveball for our group, um, you know, we're, we're a adapt- baseball metaphor. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're, we're, we're a group that's adaptability is, is there. Um, you know, we're from Edmonton. We we've worked hard to provide entertainment, provide a product that's worthy of the facility. We feel like we have, uh, by no means are we done trying to grow or improve that. And I think that falls in line with what the city wants to hear from us as well. And, You know, some of the things that we have, uh, in our vision long-term, I think fits what the city would like to do as well. So, um, you know, I know that, uh, I know that the meeting was positive. Um, you know, there was no decisions obviously made of that, but it gave us another opportunity to connect with the, the, the group, you know, the, the special, uh, committee that they put together to deal with this, uh, situation at Remax Field. Uh, it gave us an opportunity to reshare the vision, lay it out again, um, and, and let them feel our enthusiasm and, and our will and energy behind it. Um, and I think that's always important too, is that, um, we have experience in there. Um, you know, we're always looking to improve. And I think that that's something that you can say about the prospects organization is every year we've improved, um, on, on certain things, you know, and by no means are we perfect. You know, we don't want to have any lines at the concession. We don't want to have any of these type of things happening, which is just unrealistic and you know, we're not going to be perfect, but, but shoot, dude, you know, like we spent a lot of time talking about how do we improve the fan experience? 1%, you know, let alone a hundred percent. We want to get there, but just what else can we do? What little thing can we do? Um, so all in all, I think it was good. Um, you know, we're looking forward to the decision, I guess. I mean, that you know, we want to be the tenant. There's, there's no question about that. And, um, you know, I think we've done everything we can in our power to, to let that be known.
1: We're going to speak in a little bit with the uh, founder, managing director of uh, the Okotoks Dogs, uh, John Erkandia, and he's going to tell us what the process was like for them. And uh, listen, I think baseball fans in Edmonton should listen in to what happened in Calgary through John's story. So uh, we'll, we'll touch on that. Um, when John joins us uh, a little bit later and gives us some insight on kind of what happened there and, uh, and, 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 f- and now it's a, a bit of a waiting game, I guess, for you guys.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I think we're looking at the end of this month to hear the plans or hear what the future holds for us as an organization. And, you know, that's, that's not an easy thing to do is to wait on that. Um, you know, we've but a lot of blood set and tears into, into the program and, you know, the baseball players, the, the ability to have food and beverage and, and all these things that come in and they're attached to the production of a baseball game. You know, the game day people, the game day script, um, the people that work in the booth, um, all those type of things. And, um, yeah, we're kind of waiting, you know, maybe a little pins and needles type situation. You know, we're hopeful, you know, it's, uh, it sucks to have to wait though, to be honest with you. And I don't think anybody would enjoy doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I guess it'll make us stronger in the end.
1: Your owner Pat shared on social media, um, um, I guess a peek into his vision a little bit with, you know, a a nice field house and uh, ample parking. And I think there was even a gondola (laughs) in the, in the shot, uh, and, and I, I'm not expecting you to, uh, you know, peel back the curtain for us and tell us everything, but I'm sure you've seen what the grand plan is from your perspective. And um, I, I think, a, a, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, you know, an anchor tenant in there, as far as a restaurant or a microbrewery or some kind of pub, uh, we talked with Pat about uh, outdoor rinks in the winter wintertime. Uh, but you guys do have, it, you're, you're not just saying, let us play in this ballpark. You're saying, let us develop the river Valley with you through this ballpark.
2: Yeah. What an exciting experience that would be. Um, and and just like, this isn't something that's been thrown together either. There's been a lot of time, a lot of resources devoted to how do we work with the city, work with the river crossing plan, the the communities, the Dale communities down there. How do we do something? How do we grow within the city and the, the, and experience what the city's growth is. And I mean, the city's growing uh, at a, unbelievable clip you know there's always new neighborhoods the city's gone so much further south and um what can we do as a part of that in in the middle and the heart of the city to continue that growth cycle and you know the the city's got a great idea and great plans with the river crossing and uh to have the crown jewel as we dubbed it two years ago at our at our winter formal at our banquet that you know we were trying to save the crown jewel of the river valley we're trying to make it known that this is worth worth being in this Prime real estate area, and I think we were successful there with that campaign. and And then moving forward to where we're at now, is that that hasn't lot, That's only increased its value. There, there's so much that can be done with our community, like all the events we have in there. Dino, like the marathon in there this weekend. Um, you know, close to a thousand people came in and out of, the, out of the out of the barn, out of the stadium at Remax Field, and um, you know we got. Beer Fest coming and, and Vegan Fest and, and all these things that we've worked hard to get. And the thing that, that it's not easy just to get something to come in there. There's other opportunities inside the city that are good venues for people and businesses and organizations to pursue. We've been pounding the pavement. We've been successful with a couple of these. And and you know what? Like last year, the, the Beer Fest that we held um, still had a bunch of people. But it was the first weekend of September last year, Dino, and it was sideways raining. It was sleet. It was cold. I had my winter jacket on. I was at the field to help facilitate everything that was going on. Um, And that's what we're up against. You know, if something like that happens, it can damage the field, which it did. Um, So everything we do has to have in mind that, you know, we we bring in 60, 70, 80,000 people to watch baseball every year. We have to obviously maintain the field surface. Um, so our ability to continue to grow within that and do these microbreweries outside of the ballpark and not just use the field surface. I mean, those are ideas we, we get excited about in staff meetings to talk about, like, what can we do? What's an idea? Oh, what's this group all about? And, and we're getting closer to seeing that plan come to fruition.
1: Well, you guys better be there next year. It's going to be hard to do our fantasy baseball league draft <laughs> from the whole plate lounge if you're not a tenant.
2: Well, if uh, let us in. We have this booked. Yeah, well, if it turns into a 24, 24, 365 restaurant, we'll just, we'll just be it. paying right, customers yeah. there.
1: Uh, okay, let's talk about on the field. Uh, Okotoks Regina in the final. I think probably a lot of people uh, at the start of the playoffs looked at that and said, yeah, this is a, uh, you're not surprised that these two teams are in the final. All year you've talked about this bullpen in Regina. And in the deciding game, it was Okotoks scoring late in the game and coming from behind. Are you surprised that they swept Regina?
2: No, I'm not surprised. It's a three-game series. You know, it's not a seven-game series. Like a 4-0 sweep would be surprising. Um, You know, anything can happen, you know, in a three-game series. And, and, you know, basically all the series across the board were close. Um, It could have gone either way. I mean, our series with Okotoks could have gone either way. It didn't. You know, I'm not – it's not spilled milk here. It it didn't go. They beat us, but – you know, a couple of things happen for us. You know, we, we'd be talking about moving on and, and I'm sure the same thing happened in Lethbridge. There's close games, extra innings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not surprised. Um, you know, Okotos is a great program. So with Regina just like, you know, Swift and Lethbridge, man, had all these other teams have, have really good ball clubs. It's not easy to win. It's not easy to win. So, you know, maybe at the end of the day, getting to play at home for that game. You know, I think they were in Regina game one and Okatos game two. Um, you get a little bump being at home. There is some value to being a home field advantage and and they didn't have home field advantage. They would have gone back to Regina, but getting that game there, you know, you know, that they didn't want to get back on that bus. So Mm. with the fans, with the idea of another bus ride, you know, maybe they got that little extra push to, you know, get get push that run across late in the innings and, and get after a great, really great bullpen there in Regina.
1: All right. Let's talk a little major league baseball and, uh, Charlie Manuel is, uh, back with the uh, Phillies, uh, as a, as a hitting coach and he was their manager when they were winning titles, right? Yeah. Uh, 75 years old and it's amazing. The immediate impact he had, they've won four in a row, which is I think the, uh, the biggest win streak they've had all year. They're ripping the ball right now. Bryce Harper, your guy in fantasy walk off grand slam versus the Cubs three straight games. He went deep and you throw in uh, JT Realmuto and they have 12 of the Phillies 21 home runs in August. So it's you know two guys doing a lot of the work, 31 of their 74 RBIs and despite that surge they're still a half game back uh in the league. Uh or sorry, they're in the back half rather in the league when it comes to average, on base percentage, slugging, RBI and home runs. Like so that tells you how far away they were. Um they have to keep the hitting going. Because no Arietta. Yep. no David Robertson, yep. like their pitchers are falling like flies. Uh, nine games back of Atlanta in the NL East. They're, they're probably not catching uh, no. the Braves, but they're only two games back of the Cubs in the wild card. So but th- can they sustain the hitting? Because their pitching is going to take the lumps now without guys. Can they sustain that? Or is this what they should have been like all year long?
2: Yeah, I think it's a little bit come back to the, the mean for Philly. They're, their offense has a chance to be explosive every single night. No, I don't think they can keep it up the rest of the way. It's, uh, it's unrealistic to think that the offense can, can fire on all cylinders for, for week after week after week. You know, guys get dinged up. You know, the, the heart, and, heart and soul of your team ends up being the pitching staff and quality outings, quality innings, quality pitches – to, to give your offense the opportunity to win games 2-1 when they're not rolling um you, you're not going to score six runs a game for six weeks in the big leagues It's just not going to happen unless maybe you're the New york Yankees but um for Philly I think they're coming back to the mean a little bit you know I, I think the veteran voice of Charlie Manuel coming in probably does help um, no knock on john malley I've heard him speak um, he's a real deal um, but you know maybe sometimes a, a a change is good maybe Charlie came in there and told the guys hey just be yourself here relax but what um, if this
1: is what they were supposed to be and they're just getting to that level yeah. now
2: uh, it seems like that is the case cuz i've been then they should
1: with- be able to ride it right <laughs> like they should be able to sustain it if this yeah. is if if and i'm just playing devils no, advocate to say okay maybe this is it's like uh, the it's like the St. Louis Blues last year when you looked at the off-season changes there's no way they should have been last on January 3rd yeah. and then they get to the playoffs and you're like oh yeah this is a little bit more what we expect now I don't think anybody expected them to win the Stanley Cup but you expected them to be there I think with the Phillies their fans are saying this is what we this were expecting yeah. so you better keep it up especially yeah. with Arietta and company going down
2: <laughs> well I think in Philly once you start dangling the the, the potential of where they're at now they're going to want you to keep it up there have to yeah with that fan base but yeah you're right you know like I've been frustrated with B Harp all year Yo, know, I, I need that that production on my fantasy yeah, team. He should
1: be like Trout, like uh, Bellinger, going uh, back and forth for the the league home run title.
2: It honestly earlier in the year to where he looks like he's at in the box now. It's better right now. Sure, it's more calm, it's controlled. He's a little more squared up on the plate,
1: not forcing uh, it.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some real positives there, and and when the the linchpin of your lineup in the middle settles, he gets going. Yeah. Yeah. That makes everybody's job. Easy. Well,
1: it just makes everybody calm. Right. Yep, he, you know, for sure. Um, and the American league, it's the Indians that are rallying. They were 11 games back of the twins. Like the twins had that great start and Cleveland. They like stumbled out of the gate. Your so boy,
2: your boy Ramirez. Oh well, yeah.
1: He's the, lighting it up. Well, my, he was my boy until I traded him. <laughs> so they were 11 games back of the twins at the start of June today. After a 44 21 run. They're two and a half back and leading the wildcard charge. And as you mentioned, Jose Ramirez, red hot 43 RBI since July 4th. That's the most in baseball during that span, his August OPS 1.13 so far. And in the last week he went yard four times with 10 RBIs. Now yeah. I traded him in fantasy baseball. I got Max Muncie yeah. back, which I had contract control over. I was going to lose Ramirez. I would love to have Ramirez right yep. now, but Max Muncie is hitting really with well, us, so it was it was a good trade for me. You knew Jose Ramirez wasn't going to be like that all year. Like it's like Bryce Harper. You knew his numbers were going to maybe I, you didn't expect him to explode like this, and they will level off. Yeah. But do you think the Twin? Do you think the Indians will overtake the Twins?
2: Yes, and I'm not the least bit surprised that this is happening. The Indians pitching staff. Uh, top to bottom, and there's a bunch of names that you've never heard, and I've never heard. Uh, they are so deep in prospects and, and ability that they could trade Trevor Bauer yeah. mid season
1: and still content. because
2: they have a guy like Shane Bieber sitting there who's a top 15 fantasy guy who's basically an ace plus Clevenger plus just look at this Dino, they've got Salazar Carrasco and Kluber all on long term DL. Crazy. Like Crazy. Those, are, those are one, two, three on um, a lot yeah. of staffs in the big leagues, and they don't even have them, and they're doing this.
1: It's like the Red Sox and and the Dodgers to a degree last year, but the Red Sox were missing some key players, and they still rolled.
2: Yeah, yeah. Boy, you when you get that quality pitching, like when you get Chris Sale doing Chris Sale things, and um, what's his name in the bullpen, kind of Iovaldi. Mm-hmm. Like when he comes in his own like that, pumping ninety eight cutters and one, like I mean, he got a chance this begins and ends with pitching it never won't be the case and and i think that there was some, some i read on twitter and something i know because i follow it um watch the blue jays dude they've got a bunch of guys in the in in their minor league system
1: for, for down the road watch the blue jays yeah
2: down the road is yeah. in like next spring
1: that's right but not this year no no yeah, no yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. i don't want to pump everybody's tires here yeah. right
1: they're not coming the- back for 21 games but you're mm-hmm. right
2: no, then their they- Their
1: system is strong.
2: They have this. They have this sustainability on their pitching stuff because you need like 25 options, right. really.
1: A lot of people were uh, salivating over the Mets prospects at one point, too, and we've seen some you know, pretty good pitchers come through there. How the, about the Mets being on fuego? Oh, I don't, I just, the Mets are so weird. Like, you just, <laughs> you just, they're the most, they're like whack-a-mole. You never know what's yeah, going to happen both. with the Mets. They're going to come up here, going to go down here. I don't know, but- Well,
2: uh, like, imagine them having Pete Alonso happen. Yeah. Like to have that happen and everybody knew he's a top prospect, but to have him ascend to the way he has, I mean, his value is through the roof. This is a, a $300 million slugger that you're looking at right now with his consistency all year, it's easy swing, repeatable, everything, everything about him. Plus the leadership is there, you know, to have a young guy step in your lineup like that. And now everything's kind of settling around him.
1: And he's nicknamed the polar bear. Yeah. It's a really good nickname. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show.
1: And, and it's, it is a good name. It's all about the nicknames, right? Like, you got to have a good nickname if you for don't, sure. Yeah, if you don't, it's not real. All right, let's go to a history class now. Uh, going back to uh, 1900, as we like to do uh, in our time machine. Uh, the flux capacitor is fixed. So in the Western League, uh, Rube Waddell, Yeah. It's a good name. eh, Rube. Rube. Two complete games as Milwaukee sweeps a doubleheader from the White Sox 2 1 and 1 0. So he throws 17 innings in the first game. And then the uh, colorful southpaw, it says, is coaxed by skipper Connie Mack, (laughs) who promises him a few days off to go fishing if he pitches the nightcap and he throws a five inning, no, or one hitter. Yeah. So. Uh, I, 22 got, I got innings. a few
2: more left for you, Skip.
1: Yeah, 22 innings in a day and uh, go catch some fish. 1921, at the age of 34, Ty Cobb becomes the youngest player to collect 3,000 hits. And when he picks up a single, the Georgia Peach ends his career with 4,191, the most ever until Charlie Hustle, Pete Rose, yeah. surpasses him in 1985. Imagine having a, a team with Pete Rose and Ty Cobb on it, like, Catchers uh, would not stand a chance. They'd either be getting bases stole off him or run over. 1945, uh, better known for his home run prowess, he had over 500 and hit 58 in one year. Hall of Fame slugger Jimmy Fox starts and throws 7.2 innings, giving up just four hits in the Phillies, 4-2 nightcap over, the, over Cincinnati. Uh, he was uh, 37 years old, he played in his final season, and took the mound nine times. He was a stud, yeah. um, uh, 58 home runs in those in numbers.
2: Those were video, true video yeah, games. That were was the good. first video yeah. game numbers. Yeah, before right. video games. Uh,
1: 1965 Wrigley field, uh, reds hurler Jimmy Maloney, no hits. The Cubs one nothing with the only run scoring on a Leo Cardenas home run in the 10th inning. Now get this earlier in the season. The Fresno native had also lo- had also no hit the Mets for ten innings, but lost the game in the eleventh when Johnny Lewis homered. So he he took two no hitters past the ninth inning and won one and lost one. There was a game. I don't. Do you remember there was a game where both guys had a no hitter and then one guy lost it on an error. And it went into extra innings. I don't remember what year, but I do remember two guys having um, n- not perfect games, but no hitters going past the ninth inning. Crazy. Nineteen eighty two, Pascual Perez. Remember this guy. I love Pascal Perez. You'll love this story. He missed his start for the Braves when he got lost on the Interstate two eighty five trying to find Atlanta Fulton <laughs> County Stadium. A twenty five year old right hander, uh, who will be called I two eighty five by his Atlanta teammates, finally gets to the ballpark ten minutes after the game starts.
2: Classic former expo. That's I mean right. like the I 20, like, I'm sure there's signs and, it's and there's be big, something. There's big ballpark lights. Yeah.
1: There wasn't really GPS back then, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you should probably remember how to get to, uh, the ball. I always like like, he always seemed to have that, like, remember, uh, coming to America, the soul yeah. glow, he oh, always had yeah. that like greasy kind of yeah, hair do. going Pascal <laughs> Perez. So that's a little baseball history.
0: Tell us your best baseball story and you could be watching a prospect's game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game.
1: Today's baseball memories, and and by the way, uh, we don't have anything to give away for this because the season is over, but uh, we still want to hear from you about your baseball memories. So uh, drop us a line. At any time throughout the show, uh, you can email us prospects baseball show at gmail.com. You can get us on Twitter at Prospects Pod, at Jordan Blundell 4, at Duck Millard, and of course at EDM Prospects. And um, the memory I'm going with today is uh, this one. So this was how I became a Dodger fan. Growing up, I was like a Pirates fan and a Cardinals fan because of Tony Pena. And then when that happened, Vin Scully calling the great home run from Kirk Gibson. I was in a hotel room in Saskatchewan, not exactly remembering the town, but we were there watching my brother play in the SJHL. He was trying out fall. And this happened. And I was like, I can't believe this. This guy was (laughs) not supposed to play. And I was like, just flabbergasted and I love Vince Scully. And then like oral Hershizer was so dominant. So then I'm like, oh, I love this guy. Yeah. So th- that's why I became such a fan of the bulldog. But 1988, uh, you know, there's been a lot of things happen in baseball, supposedly Babe Ruth pointing it out and things like that. When a guy comes off the trainer's table and hits a home run off the best closer in the game and can barely get around the base paths. That's magical. That's like Tyler Skaggs' night magical almost.
2: Yeah, it, what what unbelievable? There's so many stories attached to that. The dude that you could see the the brake lights, like all these stories that happened for that. Kirk Gibson is, is a, a true baseball warrior, a guy that you want to go to battle with. He was always that guy. He still is that guy. He's been on coaching staff. He's managed um, to do that in Chavez Ravine too, like hallowed grounds off Eckersley. Off Eckersley the magnitude of that and like and then even the tommy lasorda stories like that's his guy and he you better, better get yourself ready in the trainer's room and we might need you later yeah, like in he the was game. getting
1: treatment he wasn't yeah. even in the dugout
2: yeah. he's like hey uh kirk need you in here
1: yeah so that's that's how i became a dodger fan and that's why i have a gibson dodger jersey uh hanging in like i don't even have a hersheiser jersey because that is the moment when i came over to Dodger Blues. So that's my baseball memory. We would love to hear from you. Uh, get us on Twitter at Prospects Pod at Jordan Blundell for or email us Prospects Baseball Show at gmail.com. What's your baseball memory today?
2: Well, I'm just thinking about the, the Sally Kirk Gibson had coming around the bases, too. Any Canadian would like that. That was a good Sally right there. That's top shelf. Um, well, because we had our guest on here from, from the Okotoks uh, Dogs and uh, the, key, the old the Calgary connection at Burns Burns Foothill Stadium, whatever you call it nowadays. Um, I got a funny one. Uh, like we played against the dogs in, in that in that facility. Um, in, in 05 I played on the Edmonton Prospects the first year of the team. It was called the Big River Prospects then. And uh, my manager was Gore Gerlach. Gore mm. Gerlach's a, um, a longtime baseball man in this community. He's he's done so much for the game. Um, he's helped guide so many young players and, and so many of those guys have had success. I, I consider Gord a mentor. He's he meant a lot to me in my baseball life. And, um, he was our manager that summer. So we also had Sheen Bromley and, uh, Mark Randall were, was involved. Um, Sheen threw a lot of BP that summer. Uh, Sheen, Sheen Bromley, as anyone will attest has some of the best BP on the planet, he'll lay it in there for you. Really nice. Sheen wasn't on this uh, road trip. So Skip, Gore uh, Gord Gerlach was throwing BP that day. And, uh, this is the only time I've ever done this. So you can get in your rounds and, and, uh, I mean, shoot dude, like he's dominating us. And like, I don't mean to, to pick on Gord BP here, but, but that, like every time I think about Calgary's fit baseball field, that foothills, I honestly, I think about this day and Gord BP, he's throwing little cutters. Like I'm, I'm barely making contact, get fighting pitches off like I'm facing the best guy in the league right now for batting practice which is
1: not supposed to happen in BP
2: right no like my confidence is shattered I've got no chance to perform tonight type thing so I basically left midway through I'm like no I'm good and I don't need I don't need to be beat down anymore And I just left BP. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm going to go take some more ground balls. So that's my foothills baseball memory. I've got some other good ones there. Uh, some youth stuff. There's been a lot of home runs hit by Edmontonians in that ballpark. Myself, a bunch of my buddies, we've all hit home runs there. Lots of good memories. But the funniest memory I have was that cutter BP from Gordy Gerlach, who I love. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you throwing it, but I had to get out of the cage.
1: The hardest batting practice ever in our (laughs) baseball memories today. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. Very excited to welcome to the Prospects Baseball Show the managing director of the Okotoks Dogs, John Erkandia, John, first of all, congratulations. Thank you very much for joining us, but congratulations on winning the league title. We had Pat Cassidy, the owner of the uh, prospects on the show last week, and he talked about how exciting it was just to win that one playoff game. I imagine this would have been a pretty special feeling as the owner uh, to watch your team get it down in the championship this past week.
3: Well, for us, it's a little bit different. And we've been in the league a little bit longer than Pat and the prospects. So we actually had a run um, starting in 2004 where we we won uh, four to five years. So that was in my mind. And uh, we kind of expected, and there was actually quite a bit of uh, concern in the league that we were going to run the table and win every year. I knew that wouldn't happen, but um, we did, you know, when the league was, Uh, transitioning to a pure Summer Collegiate League, we had a bit of an advantage because I'd already started the Dogs Youth Program and a lot of those kids who went on to college were good players and would come back, so we had a foundation to draw upon, which resulted in those four to five championships and um, so you know, we have been there before to a degree, after a ten year, nine year hiatus, it it really was um, gratifying to win and it was a little bit different this year in, in this way, and it's kind of personal, I lost my dad about a month ago, and my dad was a huge fan of the dogs. You know, he'd seen the dogs since I started them back in 1990s when I had kids that Jordan probably played with way back when. So my dad had been part of this, and he always liked it, admired it, watched a lot of it. And in the last year, he was 92, died on his birthday, um, 93rd birthday, just in July 1st. So every time I saw him and he was pretty healthy right till the end, till the last few days and we had lots of conversations and uh, about the dogs and he would say in every conversation he'd say, you know, the fans still coming out. He was always amazed at the the, the number of fans that enjoyed watching this and I'd say, yeah, they're coming out Dad," and he'd say, damn, I wish I could get back there and then he would always admonish me, uh, I think un- unintentionally but you never know, he was from Trail. Trail's like the real city of champions, by the way, not Edmonton. So, He'd admonish me and he'd say, you know, they really deserve another championship. I don't know what you guys have been doing. So anyway, when this happened, when we won this championship, like I said, um, I did some personal reflecting. I kind of felt like saying, you know, I, I kind of did run this through my brain. So, Dad, uh, you know, we got this for you. I hope you're watching this on Celestial YouTube or something. So there was that personal side to this particular championship. And and, and the other feature of this one that was different was that this is the first one that was really done in a more professional way, in the sense that the earlier championships, I had just come from coaching a lot, being on the field a lot, uh, recruiting the teams a lot, being the general manager, and Jordan knows all that's included in in that kind of a role. So I did all that, and a lot of the guys that were here, uh, I knew, I'd seen, they played with my kids, they got, you know, guys that had played with the dogs, as youth players, you know, whatever. that was a more personal stake. this one was really all about the um the players in the clubhouse like the cliche about you went it for the guy standing next to you in the dugout this was a team where that was actually true between the coaches and the players they really went out and got this thing and it didn't have a, any kind of personal touch for me other than providing the venue and that type of thing but it was great my my dad was right i mean the fans deserved one after you know not having one for nine years or so and and there were almost four thousand fans there on a cold rainy night that weren't leaving or going anywhere they they sat and appreciated the, the ceremony after the game and the presentation of trophies and all that kind of stuff it, it was quite phenomenal
2: that's that's really great john uh sorry for your loss here i knew that that had happened uh, in the summer and uh yeah, you know, I appreciate you coming on here and, and sharing that part of the story. Uh, it's uh, it's really cool how that uh, had a little personal touch there for you. Um, you got you mentioned that uh, you had a sold out facility there for the for the final game, and the weather wasn't great. Um, what do you like most about the the summer college model and what that provides to your community versus um, you know a, a professional team? Uh, what is it about the, the the quality of players and and the type of players that you're able to bring in that still have college eligibility that create that atmosphere for your fans?
3: Uh, yeah, that, that's a great question, and it's not a simple question. It's it's uh, you know, excuse me if my answers get uh, get lengthy on some of this stuff. But you know, if you look, if I look when I look back, that question prompts me to think back to our own experience going from Calgary. Um, to ultimately to Okotoks. And what I liked about the model is what I always had liked, and, and um, is that, that these are kids before they sign their professional contracts. They're kids that are engaged in uh, educational pursuits. They're at college. They're they're in a disciplined kind of environment at college. Uh, but yet they're good, you know, high-level baseball players. And, and this is, this brings back some of the frustrations I had dealing with the city of Calgary when it came to build our stadium. Um, you know I was in um, Vancouver at the time. I had a son um, that was training with the junior national team and uh, there were no local coaches that I was comfortable with. so I actually moved and took him out to Vancouver where he had some uh, national team type coaches that he worked with over the winter. so he was we were there for that year and um, when he wasn't traveling et cetera so, and while I was there, you know I became really familiar with that the, the summer collegiate product and I was totally impressed by it because, you don't have guys that are, that are done. You know, you don't have guys that are really putting in time and you know, they they've got all the, the bad attributes of professional players that you sometimes see, which is not running things out. You know, there's a lot of attitude in big league, big leaguing going on. These guys were still in college. They hadn't signed any contract yet, but they wanted to get there. So they're hungry. And the level to me was equal to single a baseball And uh, so it it was really an appealing product. And uh, what happened uh, that really led to the dogs and and part of the stadium story in Okotoks is that I got a call from Russ Parker, who owned the AAA Cannon. Now, there's obviously a difference between AAA-level affiliated baseball and the summer collegiate product, Um, which you can't say, in my opinion, about the single-A product or the short-season type product. But anyway, Russ phoned me. He had sold the Cannons. Uh, they were moving to Albuquerque, and he said uh, he knew me basically as a season ticket holder and someone who had started a youth program out there. So, I, so that's part of the connection. And he asked me, he said, "Look, I don't want to leave the city without without some kind of quality baseball." He said, "Would you consider bringing bringing a team here or partnering with me and and bringing baseball to Calgary? It won't be obviously at that level, and that's the time frame, Jordan. You'll be familiar with with." All the affiliated teams were disappearing. Uh, there weren't going to be many left in Canada, if any. And so what, what's left? What do you look for? And, and uh, I said, well, look, I have absolutely no interest in independent professional baseball. To me, it's a Barnum and Bailey Act. Um, I mean, I don't know if there, how many franchises that you, you have that haven't gone broke three or four times. And certainly in Calgary, we've experienced Black eyes constantly in the sport of baseball related to sort of the flim flam men of the indie leagues. Now there's quality guys and quality teams in those leagues too, but you're rolling the dice on that product. I don't even like the product to be honest with you, because to me, if you're 25 years old and you haven't signed yet, or uh, you're not playing affiliated baseball somewhere, maybe it's time to get a job. So that's just my attitude. So i had no interest in that. And I said to Russ. I'm watching down here because one of my sons is playing in the uh, Summer Collegiate Leagues in the northwest uh, of the state. And I said, you know, this is a fantastic level of baseball. And so that's how the dynamic started, where the dogs first came back and changed from a strictly high school age um, travel team, a sort of a youth elite development team, into a Summer Collegiate model. We kind of added that to our organization. And I moved back to Calgary and, and uh, brought together that, started the Summer Collegiate Dogs at Burn Stadium at that time. So um, you asked sort of a multi-layered question. Yeah. I'm trying to give you a oh, multi-layered good. answer, but, but honestly, you know, um, it was very simple for me. And, and this is what frustrates me, to be honest, about your situation, because it really resonates about the things I went through. Uh, we ran uh, a fairly successful summer collegiate team in Calgary, the, the Calgary dogs at that time, we won the WNBL championship and I think it was our second year in the league. And we, you know, we were stacked with all these kids I'd coached in high school that went on. A lot of them ended up getting drafted and playing professionally as well. So it was a pretty good group. Now they were younger than a lot of the teams, but they you know, they were also hungry, but, You know, uh, I think for the championship in 2004 in Calgary, uh, we had 4,000 fans or something like that. I I look at the pictures, and it was a full house. Um, We weren't as sophisticated in those days with, you know, like the online ticketing and that. But it was something around 4,000 fans came to that game. But, you know, Calgary had, had, like Edmonton had had, a A team. And there's a difference between 20, 20, 21, 22-year-old kids playing at the college level, however good they are. And and guys that are on the, the door of a Major League Baseball. But um, that wasn't the option Calgary had. And that's what frustrates me. It's a, how misinformed, and it's worse with a big city in my experience than, say, a town like Okotok. So it's a big city. You guys got the Eskimos. You've got the Oilers. We've got the Stampeders, and we've got the Flames. We like to think we're a big city town. The problem is this is a different sport baseball and we aren't a big city town there's one in the country for god's sake in toronto which is you know five times the size population wise and and on that east coast not too far from new york and that you know the baseball center on the east coast so we don't have that option and and there, there really is no affiliated baseball in this area other than short season vancouver and you know the prospects of the dogs could match up with those guys you know we played teams um, at, at, at a lot of the summer collegiate leagues that are in the northern United States. And, and this is a very good league. We, I bet you we have a winning record against them. So, But the city of Calgary, for whatever reason, you put a tag on the word professional, they put value on it. And it, it frustrated me because they didn't know baseball. They didn't understand the levels. And I see a lot of that same dynamic going on in the press that I'm reading vis-a-vis the Edmonton prospect situation. You know, you've got guys up there throwing around the terms. They don't even know what level they're talking about. They, they'll, they'll say they're, they're, they're discussing this with affiliated teams. They'll even mention the league's name wrong. So I, this is so much like Calgary where they wanted to pretend they were getting a better product because they could call it professional or somebody could call it affiliated but they don't really know what it is. They don't know. And and, and I do know, and, and I'm sure Jordan knows that, you know, the, the levels are, are very similar in terms of the, the quality of the baseball. And there, in my mind, there's a hundred other reasons why you would prefer a summer collegiate model over even an affiliated short season model. But I think, I think personally that, that Edmonton and Calgary are deluded if they think they would bring in that model anyway. They you know, the, the nearest the nearest uh, team at that level and, and it's, it's rookie ball basically Pioneer League is Great Falls, Montana and that's the nearest and it goes you know, it goes a fair degree south. So why they would come back to a place like Edmonton as a solo Canadian team in northern Alberta. It's just it's ludicrous, and uh, it it's it's bound to fail. That's the more frustrating thing, and and I just got so it was such a difficult time in Calgary, um, talking to um, the officials of the city. I tried to inform them, I encouraged them to do their own due diligence, and for whatever reason, they just got sort of zeroed in on these ideas that there's some kind of a different level. It means something, and it took them. You know about three or four failures in, in, with the Vipers, and before them, I forget the name of the team that was here. The whole league went broke, the Canadian Baseball League. So you know they preferred them over us, and, you know, and we're a fairly um, stable, uh, though nonprofit kind of organization. And we've got a lot of sort of committed people to it that that you know have 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 money in their pocket, and we just love the model, and we just think the model's better. But anyway, so Calgary, you know, they got what they paid for. And um, believe it or not, we went to the city of Calgary back then and said, we will build you. And this is, this is kind of an anomaly. And we had very good donors that had seen our program grow. And, you know, very committed to the model, very committed to the quality. They, they informed themselves about the level of baseball, liked it, loved the concept of um, athletics at that kind of a high level, high collegiate level, tying into academics because you're, you're not only making good baseball players and giving good baseball players uh, an opportunity to get well enough to be drafted and, and play professional baseball at some point, you're also developing people that are ultimately going to be leaders in the community. And, and that was a very attractive model to all our donors. It, it, it's been sort of the secret sauce of sponsorship. Things that that you know the low-level professional um, leagues can't get. I mean, we had a hundred sponsors that that loved the concept of what we were doing in terms of this model, um, and they couldn't. They they would I, if they had ten, I'll be shocked when you uh, some of these professionals because because businesses don't care about that. Like your professional organization, good 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 on you. You know, you you raise the money, yeah, do it whatever way you want. Whereas if it's a summer collegiate thing, you're dealing with, with kids. They buy into the idea that these guys, if they don't succeed at baseball and play in the big leagues, they're going to be lawyers, doctors, and Indian chiefs and and key members of the community going forward. And that's been very fundamental to the whole dog's uh, vision and, and the entire success story, uh, in Okotoks. But, uh, back in the old days, um, you know, imagine somebody knocking on the mayor's door and saying, here, here's a picture. Here's a bunch of diagrams and renderings of a stadium. We're going to give this to you for nothing. And imagine them them deciding not to do that. <laughs> so to this very day, I get people from Calgary just saying, I don't know how the hell you guys ended up in Okotoks uh, and not here. Because most of the donors and the founders of of this whole program were from Calgary, of course. And, uh, and we tried to deliver this to Calgary because Calgary needed new facilities. But anyway, that's, there are there some anomalies in the sense that, you know, we had the kind of uh, backing that we could deliver a $20 million facility um, to a city. And, but Okotoks bought into both the model, the summer collegiate model. They recognized that that was going to be a high level of family entertainment. For um, for their community and, and and they appreciated the the facilities and what what we offered by way of the facilities we were going to give that community so it was a win win for them but that gives you an idea of some of the frustrations that I know you guys are probably facing up there
2: yeah for sure John uh, that was a great answer appreciate that uh, the, the candidness there uh, uh, telling us a little bit of the story of how things you know kind of evolved from Calgary into Okotoks. And speaking of evolution, I wanted to ask you about, uh, something you have mentioned is that the increase in sophistication since the early days, uh, of the Calgary dogs and where you guys are at now, um, have you noticed anything specifically results wise in the community of Okotoks, um, over the, the last decade, um, you know, that, that, has provided for that community and the evolution of the sport of baseball, but also the evolution inside that community with, with all the families that are a part of that?
3: Um, never a good question. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, for symbolically, I can tell you that today, um, one of our directors is appearing before town council with our championship trophy. They had their meeting, the regular meeting was scheduled for today. They asked whether we could send someone there with a trophy so they could do various photo opportunities and uh, just gives you an idea of the pride they have. Um, We got a call this morning in our office from one of the counselors saying, would we make available seven of our jerseys so that they could hand them out to some of the counselors so they could wear the dog's jerseys uh, for their meeting. I mean, so symbolically that gives you an idea of the direct impact of, of this program and, it's not just the championship. I mean, the, our impact in the town of Okotoks, which is a broader question you raised, you know, is very significant. They've done studies down there where they've 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 projected that the amount of money we bring into that community is somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight million dollars per year. So now we do average around four thousand fans a game. It wasn't always four thousand fans a game. That's why I admire what the prospects did. Uh, we went through and we built that thing. We had no idea what to expect, and I remember the directors getting together the night before our opening first opening night, and putting in um, a guest. We were all we put in the number of people we thought would show up that opening game, and you know I put in a number like 450 people. That was my guess. and part of and I'm I'm a fairly I don't people the people that were with me on that thing, probably say I'm fairly negative. I like to think I'm sort of hardcore realistic, And th- my number was generated because as part of our due diligence in the offseason, we went to see the Oilers. It's a big ho- it was a big hockey town, not a baseball town, Okotok. And the Oilers were getting four or 500 people at most. And so I thought, God, I was really shocked and kind of nervous that um, that was the order of magnitude because I thought, I didn't think we'd, we'd draw four or five times more than they did. That, that wasn't something I thought would happen. But that first opening night, we had around 1,800 to 2,000 fans, which is more in the neighborhood of what you guys have got. And, and so through work, through, you know, the ongoing recognition of the program, the, you know, discovery by more and more people, better media coverage, um, the, the product sort of sells itself. And so, you know, our evolution was, went from 1,600 or 2,000 fans a game to now 4,000 fans a game. And, you know if if but for weather i think we'd average more fans per game so the the impact on the on the community is is very significant we we have you know we've we've done a bunch of things we we are involved in the community we do send our players out and in the off season our academy players and our coaches out to do readings at high school it, it's you know as i suggested when i talked about the benefits of the summer collegiate model And and sort of the the youth development model as well, you're talking about such positive things uh, among among your young people, and so you know we're providing we provide we're very focused on family entertainment. So you've got family entertainment through those summer months, which which increases you know has an impact on health and well being and the types of things that government likes the the the, like the words they coin. You know they all these tag words, but. It does have a clear impact on health, well-being, recreational, healthy activities. We were priced in a family-friendly uh, manner. Um, it's so all of those things take place, and then the the community embraces this thing. And we've never had any problem with host families and those types of things. We've got of the of the hundred or so sponsors we now have. Most of them, I, well, probably two-thirds are Okotoks-based because they want to be part of this thing. You know, it's it's sort of a program that has really inspired the local people to, to um, see the upside of it. There, there's an enthusiasm and sort of a positiveness about the whole thing, and I think it relates right back to the fact these are student-athletes, and, you know, they're not a – nobody's out, things and, and staying out at the 711s all night there, there's just such a healthy sort of uh, uh, profile to the whole thing and it's embraced by the community so there's the economic advantages but there's there's the other advantages too and it, it really has been quite an eye-opener of how how uh, the community in general business and its citizens have embraced the whole product and um, when I think to the Edmonton context, You know, in my mind, the same thing would have happened in Calgary. It's a bigger city, but the same benefits are there once you have to put in the investment. And that's the frustrating part for me seeing some of this is I I have some idea uh, as to the the degree to which the prospects have put their money where their mouth is and, you know, have invested in the community in a big way. And if allowed to build it, I, I envision similar things happening. There than have happened in Okotoks, and possibly on a grander scale. I mean, uh, I was a major supporter of the All Star Game being in Edmonton. Uh, it's unfortunate that it didn't have better weather, but but you know, I, I, we held one in Okotoks. I just felt that the the opportunities associated with the market in Edmonton were huge, and um, I felt like you put the, this league in the in the quality of the talent, uh, its best foot forward was was going to be a big part of building. Um, something really dynamic in Edmonton and I'm disappointed that your town doesn't appear to have done the due diligence to realize what they've got and because I think if they did they would see some of the experience I've already talked about vis-a-vis Calgary I think Calgary now knows what they've got and I'm friends with Ken King who's part of the you know, uh, I think he's still president of, the, of the, the Flames organization, which now controls basically all the professional franchises here. Ken's been to a ton of our games. And, uh, you know, he sees the the value of, of that model. And I think the same thing would happen at Edmonton if they got behind you guys, got behind the prospect, and, and gave you a chance to kind of build on what you've already achieved, which I think is pretty significant already. I, I, my mind... If I'm on Edmonton Council, I'm saying, you know, these guys have done a hell of a lot of work here and and really promoted and sort of been our baseball option right now when nothing realistic is otherwise available. And they've done that without us doing much to support them, in my mind. Like, for example, assisting in getting you guys some upgrades to that stadium. And, you know, I'm so impressed that uh, your owner, uh, based on what I'm reading, I'm so impressed that your owner has offered to participate in investing in scoreboards and field turf and some of the things that would really elevate um, uh, that program. But I, I really hope it works out there because I uh, I am sold on what this model can do.
1: John, what was the timeline from when you first thought, because you have a, a beautiful facility uh, that you uh, built out in in Okotoks uh, the the dogs uh, left Calgary as you mentioned what was the timeline from when you first thought about that stadium until you said we're doing it
3: well that's uh again it's sort of a personal question so bat in your hatches boys I'll tell you <laughs> I you know I I don't have to hold hold any punches on this thing because I uh, you know I know the truth I was there And and I'm not a politically correct person. I'll tell you what actually happened. I mean, we won that championship in 2004. The the Calgary um, mover, the geniuses with Parks and Recreation who controlled um, the park, wanted to bring in a so-called professional team. I told them what was going to happen, and it did happen in terms of their struggles for financial viability. And ultimately, they went broke, but they didn't listen. And so... Uh, ultimately, we had to share that part, but they gave the professional team, and I can't even remember which of the which of the three or four organizations that failed within a year or two of each other, which one of them it was. But they they basically squeezed us because we were we were we were averaging about the same number of fans per game as they were, and they didn't want us there, so they would never commit to our our ability to access the field. So when the our league was asking us for confirmed dates and things like that. We could never give them to them because, um, because the city had basically given first right to this so-called professional team. And ultimately, uh, I gave them. I was frustrated, and I just said, you know what? These guys, I mean, they, they had cars towed away from our fans, and ultimately it was a joke because they ended up towing away some of the media's cars. But they they did everything they could. Uh, threatening to turn the lights off, you know, turning the sprinklers on in the middle of games. It, it was a gong show. And, um, I was sitting, um, in the stadium with Don Seaman, who had watched this since you know, my kids were players and he loved the idea that we had been so successful in sending kids off on scholarships to play baseball at, uh, you know, U S colleges and that. So he loved the model. And, um, he was watching the game, and the president of the, uh, of, I think it was the Vipers at that time, anyway, came up and was ranting about, I'm going to get these cars towed away, and I'm going to turn the lights off. And, and just an asshole, to pardon my language. But anyway, Don turned to me, and Don's like Clint Eastwood. He's a man of very few words. And he, uh, he, had two, he said two things. Number one, um, who is that asshole? So I said to him, "This is what I've been telling you. We're up against here. I, I just don't know how we can continue in Calgary with uh, these guys having control of the facility." And about five minutes later uh, of silence, he turned and said, "We got to build the dogs their own stadium," and that launched us leaving Calgary. And uh, we we were forced to cease operations because we couldn't get a commitment on field time that next year. Um, I literally was was made pitches, and the, the pitch started with Calgary because that's where we were from. Uh, was we will build you this. Here are the drawings. Here's the rendering. We'll and we'll pay for it all. We just need you to commit the 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 land, and and you'll end up with this facility. It looks just like this. And you know, and you've seen our facility. Jordan certainly seen it, and it's it's a beautiful facility. And uh, so we went down that path. We were, we were all, we had some takers, some people very interested. Given the summer collegiate aspect of this thing, um, I first went to Mount Royal College, which is, uh, which has a great spot. And I thought that would be a, a real good location. And I like the synergies of putting a college product in a college atmosphere. At that time, I thought you could generate some of the same kind of vibe that you get at the, in the American colleges in terms of attendance and, and making it a positive thing for the kids at school, the, the, the college students to come and watch as well. And, um, but ultimately, they, they, they felt they didn't have enough land. And then we went to the U of C, same process. Uh, these were some of the friendlier ones. The city of Calgary, um, I mean, they, they didn't outright reject their, the idea of us spending $20 million and gifting it back to them but they never did really buy into the concept and the, the pieces of property they showed us were ridiculous and there was going to be environmental upgrades and everything else. And I ultimately said, look, you just don't want this bad enough. You know, we're trying to give you something for nothing, but you just don't get it. So I blew them off. We worked with Satina nation with the next one. And then out of the blue, when I was about fed up with this whole thing, and this was over the course of um, really about six months, um, I got a, Email from somebody uh, who'd been the mayor in Okotoks and said it is considered Okotoks, and we went down there, checked it out. Uh, you know, I I'd been to Okotoks before, obviously, and I did get the feeling it reminded a little me a little bit of where I grew up in Trail BC, where it's a town that does like its high school sports. It's a kind of a they like the fact you know they're a bedroom community from Calgary, but but there's an independence there, and they kind of are proud of their city, standalone from Calgary. And, um, so it was, is was a much more positive reception there and they, they got it instantly. And I went to town council, we did a, we did kind of a PowerPoint presentation of what we would deliver there. same message I'd given to these other sources, other places, and they got it right away. And, you know, in fact, they were, they were the opposite. They were saying, you mean you're going to build this at your cost? And so about, we went through, you know, a process there. Uh, but we had full support of council from day one and ultimately we ended up at the location where we're at now, which, which was uh, where we, which was perfect was the best location we could have possibly picked. But all of that took, we took one year hiatus from the league and then we actually built this thing and um, it all went, uh, you know, we, we, one year off, we built it within the year it was done. So it was a two year kind of process from stopping playing to starting playing again in the in a new stadium
2: wow that's uh that's really cool uh to get the insight on that i kind of knew a little bit about the story but uh really appreciate you sharing that uh the whole journey that and and sometimes how long that takes to to get to the point where you're at now um john what uh what do you think some of the 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 things that the wcbl can do maybe some some of the positive changes that that our league um can maybe enact over the next three years five years to really propel us even further along in the college baseball summer circuit the summer collegiate model is is there anything specifically that you think that uh, the wcbl is as a, as a whole as an entity can do moving forward to continue to grow the game at the grassroots level, but also with our product on the field?
3: Yeah, I think we've got a challenge in that area like every uh, summer collegiate league. Um, we've sort of been discovered by the baseball world as, as like a fantastic model in the sense that you're not paying players and you're providing sort of the venue and the competition in the offseason for college players to continue to improve and um, that's why you've seen this proliferation of summer college leagues in the state so now there's a lot more leagues um, they're fairly aggressive some of them are for profit um, like the Northwoods League and, and uh, so we uh, our challenge and we see it this year and as I'm sure you did um, is retaining a roster and um, I think we're going to have to make some changes I think the, the simple things we could be doing and should be doing are increasing our profile at things like the Coaches Conference, the American College Coaches Conference in the, in the United States every year. We've been there uh, as a league occasionally. But honestly, I'll give you my honest opinion. <clears throat> our profile is the, is the Okotoks. Dog. And believe me, they don't even know how to pronounce Okotoks. It's harder than pronouncing Orcandia. So we've been you know, Okotoks, Okotoks, Okotoks. They just don't know how to pronounce it even. So they don't know where the hell we are. But the pro- notwithstanding that, the profile of the dogs is higher than the league. And I told the league this for a few years. And I said, you know, we part of changing the name to Western Canadian Baseball League and that vision was, was really about increasing our profile. When we had Dan Siegel up, as a good friend of mine. I've known him forever uh, since my kids played in the uh, West Coast League. And uh, Dan was kind of a visionary in that in, in the summer college model. Um, and uh, now he runs the Corvallis Knights. It used to be the Aloha Knights based in Portland. But I mean, um, you know, his comment was really, what do you, got, Western major, what does that mean? Everybody associates major with the major leagues. So that's not who you are, but you are sort of the Canadian summer collegiate league, and that's what you should be promoting. So I was very big on, on making a, a sort of an inroads and making college coaches across the board, Division One, all the way down, NAI, you name it, very well aware of who we were. And I thought we had a lot to grow on. I and mean, we've had a lot of guys play in this league that have become outstanding players. You know, we've had outstanding leaders and business people who come out of our league. So we've got a lot of things to be proud of and awareness about what's distinct about this experience in the United States. Uh, in the in amongst the colleges and it's not it's not that difficult it's it's an investment of time and you got to do it right i've been a proponent of that i disappointed to be honest with you that we didn't make a bigger effort down that down that path over the past year or so since we we did the name change uh, you know i think everybody's online these days i think we need to be uh, way more aggressive with with a website that is with very fan and and some are uh, player, coach, collegiate coach, friendly. So people really start to get a, a feeling that we're, you know, what kind of level we are. I think if they saw the quality of the play, they'd realize, you know, we're at a high level. We may not be the Cape Cod league, which is getting all the top right, draft picks, but we're at a, we stand up to any other league in terms of, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the quality of, of the play. And then we have this dynamic experience component, which is you know, see a different country. That's, that's, uh, you know, beautiful in the summer months for the most part. And um, so to me, those are things that we really should be marketing about who we are. And so I I think our league's got to do, be way more aggressive in doing those types of things and getting the word out about uh, the Western Canadian baseball league. And um, I hope they do. You know, we, we are uh, made up of a diverse levels of teams. um, But, In general, everybody gets along with everybody, and and we did buy into sort of the vision we put together with a a vision statement a couple years ago. And so I think, and I do believe that the smaller franchises in our league have seen the benefits themselves of of running uh, sort of the kinds of models we've been running. They originally didn't want to be exclusively summer collegiate. Then we went to summer collegiate, got more competitive, not less competitive. Um, other franchise everybody had a chance to win it became more of a level playing field so there um, I do think there's buy-in in a general way you know we do have some you know, everybody's got economic issues in terms of you know how much money you can devote to certain things but I do believe we have enough resources in this league to have an impact and in my mind that's why I'm so interested in what happens in Edmonton I mean Edmonton's our, our biggest market as a league and I and I think that um, if if, if, you, if the, the prospects are given the opportunity to build that franchise, the credibility will be obvious. It's a matter of time. And that will be a, a major benefit to, to our league as well as to your community because when your community starts to, to tap into – I mean, everybody wants to go to watch Major League Baseball. If, you know what? If the San Francisco Giants had their stadium down the road here, I'd go watch them ahead of the dogs too. Mm. But that we don't have those choices. They aren't here, and they're not going to be here. And uh, it's it's a fool's it's a fool's game for for uh, Edmonton City Council, Calgary City Council, be sitting there saying, you know, if only we can get an affiliated this or an affiliated that in here, that it's not available. You're not going to get it. And if you're looking at the lower end of that affiliated rung, you're way better off in my mind. It's and it's it's been evident if you if you if you talk to people who've been there that the summer collegiate model. It's, it's better than those things for a million reasons, like I said, if you actually do your homework. And, um, you know, there's way more upside. So anyway, that's kind of my outlook on the whole thing.
1: Well, I, I think the one thing you mentioned about uh, the, the league and uh, I think the, the Western Canadian Baseball League needs to have a much stronger social media presence. I think that has to, you know, you you bring people in by telling them about your product. I love how uh, some of the teams have great live streams and we can watch that. But I think the, the social media presence um, on whatever platform you want uh, has to increase. And, and, and it, it's getting there. Uh, it just takes... Uh, more time. And and John, I'm sure, um, you know, as you've mentioned, when you look at this Edmonton situation, it, it's deja vu. And, and you know, the, the Edmonton city councillors, as, as you said, they just need to look down the road and look at what happened and look at what may happen to this baseball field if this owner decides to do what you did and go build his own stadium. Because they will have, in my opinion, fly-by-night leagues come in and go, and then the stadium will be no more and and one of the things john i've seen from being around this league closely this year is the impact it has not just on the uh, community viability but the kids um, i i just not sure you're going to get that in another type of pro type of baseball where they're going to take as much interest in the community as these teams seem to do at this level
3: Oh, i agree and i can give an anecdote about that that's kind of telling it's symbolic, but in my mind, it's it's an accurate sort of metaphor for where we're all at and what you're saying. When we when we when we built that stadium in Okotoks, and like I indicated earlier, we did have full support of, of that city council. I mean, um, they they bought into it big time. But um, we had a barbecue after that opening weekend that we had uh, in Okotoks, and it was at somebody's. The house was a nice spot and everything else. And, and we had all the various dignitaries and the city people were there and the dogs people were there. And uh, this guy got up and and who started the ball rolling, the former mayor and, and made a speech. He, and, and the the upshot of it was he said, you know, I knew this was going to be a great thing for our community. He said, there was no doubt in my mind. This was really going to be a difference maker for our community in so many ways. He said, but I had no idea how big a difference this is our opening weekend. I had no idea how big an impact this was going to make until I saw the kids running the bases at the end of the game with the Diggity, our mascot. He said, when I saw those kids and there were two or 300 kids at the end of the game running the bases with that mascot, he says, I had a very clear vision of what was going to happen. You know, these kids were going to want to be dogs. These kids were going to be mentored and influenced by the positive role models of college students student athletes. They were going to grow up to want to play the sport. The numbers in the in the local recreational baseball communities and sports communities is going to go up because this was going to be a profile event for them. And they were gonna they were going to grow up with this facility and, and, and this model. And uh, that was going to have a long term impact on their community that was uniquely positive. And I thought about that at the time and, and it's it's worked out. He was right that it did have, you know, those kids, a lot of them wanted to be dogs in our youth program. A lot of them came out and and played there. And if they weren't at, at that level, they ended up. I think that their local, um, they don't have little league, but their local um, Alberta sort of minor league, whatever it's called, Okotoks minor baseball. Their numbers doubled at, within about a year and a half from when we got there. So you see the impact in the community of what's going on, and. When I'm, I, I'm not giving you a line in terms of the business support we had um, in terms of advertising and other venues to and people that recognize this was, this is how I can, you know, uh, get customers uh, to my own business. So the upside to businesses was there too. So you've got something that is just is is sort of uniquely positive in, in all these aspects. And um, you I think you're quite right. Um, to get some American owner in, in there who's going to want to, his end game is not going to be, a, he'll be in your community as long as he's making money in your community. If he's not making money in your community, whatever happens, you know, in the youth game and everything else is probably not his paramount consideration. And if he's not making money, he'll be gone. And, and look at all these independent pro franchises. They're exactly, they never had money in the first place. So you know that was a that was a real shame, and I react to it mainly because of the black eye they gave our sport when they left, and they left people holding the bag. And and um, and the next time someone went to seek support from those businesses and, and 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 community people in terms of buying season tickets and things like that, well, you had a, you got an uphill battle now because of these guys that came in, and in our case in Calgary, they were encouraged by the city. You know, there was just such, they bought the bullshit or they bought sort of the, um, the misinformation. And, and that's some of that I read when I read the press stories about what's going on in Edmonton. I don't have any, by the way, I want to clarify. I have no inside information about what's going on up there. I'm just following the story. I, I know what the prospects have done. I, I've said to other people before, I admire, uh, Pat Cassidy's you know, tenacity and investment and how much it means to him to make this a success and how much he's invested in it. I do admire that, but I, you know, I, I'm not on a direct line to Pat finding out what the latest event is. I'm I'm just getting and, and reading the papers and sort of the, the hotlines and the information on the internet that I get. And so when I see that, that's what, that's what just frustrates me that it just seems like you said deja vu all over again. And it is like that. It just, so much reminds me of our experience and I wish they had paid attention up there and learned from it.
1: Well, and hopefully they do. Um obviously this process is not over. Um I I guess you're kind of in the middle of it, Jordan. So uh, so hopefully they do see what happened in Calgary and uh, you know, and come to a uh, a smarter conclusion.
2: Yeah, you're right, yeah, Dino. I hope so. Yeah, John, uh, I really want to thank you for coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure to, to have you join our show. I want to congratulate you on a uh, championship season and uh hopefully we can get get back to work and battling you guys and knock you off there for next year.
3: Well, I won't agree with the latter part, Jordan. I'm sick of you guys <laughs> knocking us off. Yeah, I, do, I knew <laughs> but that. I, I, yeah. I, but I do hope we uh, you know, we're facing off again because it's uh you know, it's always quality performance. It's a great it's great to give these college players the opportunity to, uh, to 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 hone their skills, and a lot of them are gonna we're gonna be watching on TV someday. So it's a, it's such a great a great model. Play ball.
0: Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and
2: crackers. Want jack. two
0: tickets to an upcoming prospects game. Get your thinking ball caps on and answer this baseball trivia question. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game.
1: Uh, Terrific uh, openness, honestness, bluntness, whatever you want to call it. Uh, from, uh, John Arcandia, uh, the Okotoks, uh, dogs, um, um uh, managing, managing director, director yeah. uh, found one of the, the the guys responsible for that team. And, uh, as you said, he, he, you only have to look down the highway to see what happened there and the mistakes you can avoid, uh, here in Edmonton. So uh, we'll, obviously we'll be keeping you up to check us out on, uh, check us out on Twitter at prospects pod. At EDM Prospects uh, is the uh, team Twitter handle. Uh, You can check us out on uh, Instagram, at Prospects Baseball Show, and on Facebook, at Prospects Baseball Show as well. And, of course, our website is ProspectsBaseballShow.ca, and uh, the Ebony Prospects team website is ProspectsBaseballClub.ca. So uh, lock it on any of those and get the latest information on what's going on. All right, let's get to uh, take me out to the ballgame trivia uh, we have two tickets up for grabs for December fifteenth. Uh, you can go sit in the stadium in the snow and watch yep. no baseball. So free, though. But there, it'll be free. We'll yep. let you in for free. So uh, obviously we have no tickets available. But uh, when we get closer to next season, uh, we will definitely have some uh, tickets available. But uh, our uh, trivia question today is, uh, is a good one. Uh, you got this one. Who was the first Major League Baseball player to have his number retired? If you feel like taking a shot email us prospects baseball show at gmail.com and we will send you your prize which is pride in getting the answer correct uh right back to you in an email uh, there'll be instant shipping free shipping too yeah, we'll, free shipping. we'll ship that pride right back to you um this is it's, it's interesting uh i'm not surprised at this answer uh but uh, some people might not get it last week we asked who holds the record for most postseason home runs at 29 Man Ram was the answer. Of course, he played on a few different juggernaut playoff teams, right? Like when he went to L.A. and had that gross helmet.
2: (laughs) Number 99, too. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. Number 99. Manny's Manny's
1: Manny, right? Manny being Manny. So Man Ram is the all-time leader in postseason home runs.
3: (sighs) It's fantasy time.
1: Fantasy baseball, that is.
3: Who needs to be in your lineup?
0: And who shouldn't? We've got the latest info to help you dominate your league. Bumgarner's 1-0. Bellinger swings, high drive, center field, Hit the wall, grand slam. Cody Bellinger. It's go time.
1: Fantasy time has not been going well for me. Um, no, so we had, uh, we didn't really talk about this last week because we just had a, a no-frills episode, but. I told you all those moves I make, I beat that team 12, nothing. I went from fifth to third, then I lost 12, nothing. And then I lost this week to a team I had already passed. So now I dropped down to fifth. Now (laughs) I'm only one game out of third, like it's so tight, but, and like, I don't know is there's not really a much more of a benefit. Although the benefit is you don't have to face the first place team, I guess. Um, but man, fantasy baseball has been frustrating. Like we talked before about maybe this is what the Phillies are just expecting their hitting team. When I was cruising there, I was like, finally, this is the team I had built. And now it's like, it's like one step forward, two steps back. Fantasy sports might be the death of me. Like they are so frustrating sometimes, but I keep coming back for more.
2: It's frustrating when, when you're waiting for the, the team to arrive. Based on the numbers you drafted them on, and then and then they do, and you get that for a week or two, and then it disappears. Yeah, like right now, I am living the high life. My yeah, my that team was is me a couple actually, of weeks ago. This has been, I'd probably say, close to a month now. So I am getting that steady production, and I am loving life. Dino, fantasy baseball is a joy. Getting on the app, making shrewd decisions here and there, but I am dealing with some injuries, and I haven't had that issue all year. Right now, I've got three guys. Uh, Four guys on the DL. I got McNeil, who's a big-time average hitter. I've got Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who basically saved my fantasy season. Yeah, right. And I need him right now. He's on the DL. I got Verdugo on the DL, which is a possible drop player for me anyway, depending on where I'm at. And I've been missing Adelberto Mondesi. I've been missing him for a long time because he's my stolen base guy. And I've been losing stolen bases. Even you only through need this hot one strip. guy to win that category, exactly.
1: right? Like you need one guy and then maybe and then chip in here just and there. a guy here that, yep. that you don't expect. But you, you just need one guy. And that's, I went out and found my waiver wire guy. And now that guy is, uh, in my lineup and it's like, okay, go out and win that him. And then I get a few from like, uh, a story or yep. Ozuna, you get the odd one, but you need one guy to win you that category.
2: It's just as important as having that home run guy. It's a category. It's, mm. a, it's a point. It's a win. So I'm missing him. I'm, I've got him in my lineup right now in the DL because he's going to get called up here. He's back on rehab. Uh, I think he's playing tonight in AAA. So for everybody out there, like uh, it looks like Adelberto will be back. That's a big steals guy. Um, if you're waiting to get him in the lineup, it's not always the worst idea to put him in. If you can, if you can sacrifice the day or two that you might not be right, it's just get him in the lineup so you don't miss the day he comes back. Because I'm guessing the day he comes back, he's going to do Adalberto-Mondesi type things and rip a couple bags.
1: Uh, okay, so we talked about a few names before. Uh, we talked about Bryce Harper having a monster week. We talked about... Jose Ramirez, uh, you know, coming back in those situations. In your league, is there a cutoff for the waiver wire where you cannot pick up guys or you can keep picking up guys into the playoffs and stuff like yeah, that?
2: Yeah, we, we've got a trade deadline that came and passed. Uh, I think it was last week. And um, did you do much with it? No, I didn't no. touch it. Um, I poked around. There's a couple guys looking to, to offload. I really don't, I didn't know who I'd want to give up right now. Like my team's going really well. Um, I would consider it if I was looking to to get a keeper for next year, maybe, and give up a draft pick and take the chance that I'm not going to be able to draft this player. But um, no, I'm I'm rolling pretty good. I, I held out of I do a lot of my work on the waiver wire. Um, I've been really fortunate this year. The guys I've picked up have really really been the right guys. I passed Mike on fires. But I gotta to be honest with you, Dean. I <laughs> let him go a little while
1: ago. <laughs>
2: what? <laughs> I'm rolling without him. I'm taking a chance you're here. You're
1: cursed. You will not <laughs> win a playoff game this year. It's the fire's curse. I can't believe yeah, you did it. that. <laughs> After all the pounding yeah. of the pavement I yeah. did for him. And then I
2: took him. And, and then, then he you dropped him. Yeah, he didn't put up real good numbers. As long as Bryce Harper does top 20 type fantasy things.
1: Bryce Harper's not hitting another I'm home fuck. run for the rest of the year for you
2: now. <laughs> you're, you're cursed. He's going to hit two this week. Mm. At least two.
1: All right, so, uh, yeah, fantasy baseball getting, uh, I think we have two weeks left, like this yeah, week two, yeah. and then next week, yep. and then the playoffs start. So um, like I'm one game out. Where are you as far as playoff position? Let's take a With look the here. Final yeah. the final two weeks.
2: To final two weeks. Right now I'm a game out of the final spot. Me and you. So we're in this
1: exact same yeah. spot.
2: Yeah, uh, number, number five and the four seed are within striking distance, but there's a little bit of room. This looks like this is a race for the last spot. My schedule—if we were going RPI down in college football—shout out to that starting up here right away. My RPI is really good. I'm playing two teams that are below me and considerably below to finish up the year. Mm-hmm. So if this is a nine-three week, if I do that back to back, I'm smooth sailing. But you know, who knows? Who knows who's playing well and when they're playing well? And you know, it's just—it it just mirrors the Edmonton prospect season. I need to win out here. The
3: pitch. There's a long one to right field. Forget about it. This one is hit. New Jersey, high into the upper deck, Barry Barnes with a spectacular three-run homer.
0: Who is the best left fielder of all time? How about your favorite shortstop ever? What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy.
1: It's time to build your all-time team. So we, we don't really have uh, the all-time team anymore. We've done it. We've done our all-time teams. You can listen to past episodes uh, if you want to check that out. Uh, but what we are doing is uh, our all-time starting five rotation. So you can still win winter banquet tickets for this. Um, email us, prospectsbaseballshow at com and just simply tell us, your all-time starting five rotation. It could be the best of all time or your favorite. It doesn't matter. You, you could you could uh, put together the worst starting five rotation if you really wanted to. This is our all-time <laughs> starting five rotation. Maybe Pat that's what. May, maybe that will be uh, a segment. Rick and Keel might be uh, <laughs> in that list at some point. Maybe we'll do that on a later show. But all-time starting five rotation. You get to pluck from history. We'll go one at a time. Who's uh, your number one starter out of the gate? Number one starter out the gate. I'm
2: going with my boy, Pedro. Pedro. Pedro early, early, mid, mid Pedro. That that season, yeah, with the Red Sox is 300 plus Ks. That's, about, that's my number one guy.
1: I'm going Cy Young. When they name the award <laughs> after you, you're my number one guy. I I didn't see him live. I see the numbers. Cy Young, Sa Young is my uh, number one starter out of the gate. Who's number? Who's the two hole for you as our starters?
2: Um, you know, I mean, I'm gonna plan this out like a like a, a a coach. You know, we're gonna go with the lefty Dax. He's gonna bring the heat. It's Randy Johnson, the big unit, dude. Like, unbelievable man. Like, he's a freak in such a good way. Like to be that tall. Had the mullet going. Like ninety eight mile an hour fastball sliders. Throw at your head. Greasy stash. Agree, perfect like for greasy him. Greasy hair. He had like the persona. If they, if this would have been in the 80s, he could have been in that Pro Stars video game with Wayne and Bull and whatnot. Like that's how much of a difference maker Randy Did was. Did not
1: like camera guys. No. Uh, okay. My number two, I'm going with the Bulldog. The guy who was so dominant in the 88 World yep. Series, Oral Hershiser is my number Right after Cy Young, now you get the Bulldog. So you get the <laughs> award man, now you get the Bulldog. Deal with the Bulldog in my number two hole. Oral Hershiser is my number two yep. starter.
2: Who's for a number three? We're going number three. I'm going to go with the uh, the Ryan Express. Mm. I'm going to come after you with more velo from the right side, more nastiness, more intimidation factor. Uh, Nolan Ryan, man, he's just going to pump fastballs by you all day. Might not hit you.
1: I'm going with Nolan Ryan in this spot too, as well. That's what <laughs> right. I had as my number three. Uh, and I'm going number four as well. Randy Johnson. Okay, so there it is Nolan Ryan. And then, oh, you got through Nolan Ryan yesterday. <laughs> now you face Randy Johnson from the other side. Now yep. coming at you with all the things you talked about that much heat back to back may not be allowed, uh, in the universe. Like that is so much heat uh between randy johnson and nolan ryan back to back so that's my three four who's your number four starter
2: number four starter i'm going uh like as a manager i'm trying to i'm trying to win a series maybe a world series um i got maybe the biggest big game pitcher of my era jack morris mm. jack morris the game seven savant if you got a big game to win and it's game seven i'm going with my boy jack morris he's won game won nothing He's won rings, Blackjack. He, he, he's done everything. And, and if we're going to talk about looks and intimidation, he might have one of the best mustaches in the history of the game. Pretty impressive. There it goes.
1: My number five, um, I'm going with Clayton Kershaw. I'm going with current day, yep. one of my favorite players, another lefty, a little bit different lefty than Randy Johnson uh, yep. coming at you. And, uh, now after trying to hit Nolan Ryan and Randy Johnson, I'm throwing Kershaw and his dirty, the, nasty the stuff six. like Ooh. that. Yeah. Have fun with that. After, after sitting back on fastballs for two <laughs> games, now have fun with Kershaw. Exactly. So he rounds out my all time pitching staff, Clayton Kershaw. Who's number five for you. Number five.
2: This is uh this is a season long staff. I'm going with a guy that can suck up innings who had one of the best years ever In 2012, this is only 2012 version of this player, Mm -hmm. R.A. Dickey, 2012 R.A. Dickey. So
1: you realize you can pitch, you (laughs) can pick pitchers from all time, every era, every season in Major League Baseball. You realize you just picked R.A. Dickey. Like did, maybe you, maybe you mispronounced uh, (laughs) Lefty Grove or Christy Matheson or Bob Gibson. I don't know. How does R. A. Dickey make your all-time in, list, man? In,
2: in 2012, his K walk was over five. He so You're picking up. a guy for one season, Well, his his one season was and that not like dude the 80 mile an hour knuckleball, 82, 84 yeah, mile I an know. hour knuckleball might as well be 105 mile an hour fastball.
1: But like Phil Negro doesn't get in. Uh... He never
2: threw that hard. Like R. A. Dickey that year had had uh, the highest average velocity for his knuckleball in the history of the game so a lot of guys throw it at like 72 Mm -hmm. maybe touch 78 okay ra was in a stratosphere above them he was 80 to 84 and that's what made it so unique at the time and and like his numbers bear that the the idea that that was the best knuckleball season of all time i mean shoot i'm 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 a dummy for not taking bob gibson i get that like that dude was he could be number one on this list. So Scary. the era, the era kind of plays into it. These are all guys that I saw sure, do true. it. Sure, so true. That's that, true, yeah. You know, Bob Gibson should be in there. I get the Sandy Koufax should be in, there. I get that. But twenty twelve R. A. Dickey, I mean, he's done something nobody's ever done before. And for me, that was enough. He had like two hundred and thirty K's, two hundred and thirty innings yeah. pitched. He had control with that thing. It was something we had, nobody's ever seen before.
1: And then he came to the Jays, and, and know, he did mop up innings yeah. for the Jays, but uh, was not nearly as no. successful. So listen, I know we said last week we're going to try to keep this show going, but... After you drop Mike Fires and put R.A. Dickey <laughs> in their list, this might be the last show we
2: do. I, I tried to get out of here with controversy.
1: <laughs> Mike Fires dropped an R.A. Dickey in your top five of all just time. 2012 oh, versus 2012. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so uh, just to uh, recap, I'm going with Cy Young, Oral Hershiser, <laughs> Nolan Ryan, Randy Johnson, and Clayton Kershaw on my all time. And I left out Sandy Koufax, which is. Yeah big big dodger history uh recap your top five i got again. uh
2: pedro randy nolan ryan jack morris for my game seven and i got 2012 <laughs> season of r.a dickie,
1: dickie <laughs> oh my goodness um uh, okay so we we uh, also want to talk about pitching staffs and yep. current day pitching staffs um you know so clayton kershaw's uh current day who do you think has the best pitching staff in the league talking uh, not just your five starters, but your relievers, your closer, your, your, I guess, one through 12, uh, as you mentioned, uh, staff in Major League Baseball. Well, you're you're, you're going to be shocked by my answer.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, the Astros need to mention here, uh, the, like when they got, they just got Granky. They just got Sanchez. They just picked up some guys in the bullpen, like deep. To have those three guys, Cole Verlander and Granky going at you, Um, name recognition and just stuff alone um they probably be the stuff i go with but but i mean like tampa bay needs to get some love tampa bay is is what i consider is the old montreal expos they find guys they find ways to do things with players do it's unbelievable their bullpen with castillo and alvarado like, that dude's throwing 100 mile an hour. You don't know which way it's going. Yeah. So the game's over. Yeah. You know, we get to the set, and then Pagan, who I've got in my fantasy, he's pretty much lights out, too. And he's the worst of the three. They've got – and I'm a huge Charlie Morton fan. I really like him. And I like Yarbrough. Yarbrough has that kind of opener. He gets open four, throws seven or eight innings on you. You, you just didn't – they're they're so unassuming. They're so detail-oriented. They're so execution-oriented. They they have a strategy for how they use their staff. So I guess maybe talent wise, I, I take the the Astros. But as far as effective effectiveness and use usability, how they put their guys in position to be successful, I got the
1: Tampa Bay Rays. Okay, well I'm going with the Dodgers. As oh, I no said, way. you're not going to be surprised. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we think okay, Clayton Kershaw, and yeah, he has yeah. 18 quality starts, and this is after he was on the shelf at the start of the year. Uh, And he has a 2.63 earned run average, so that's pretty good. Then you have Ryu, who has a buck 64 and 19 quality starts. And then Walker Bueller, who was so good last year, still has 14 quality starts. uh, And he has an ERA of 331. They also, they all three of them have double-digit wins. So the first three, like... Listen, the Dodgers are going to match. They're they're going to match it. They'll match up against anybody in the National yep. League when when they go into their playoff series, right? With those three guys, one, two, three. What do you go like a four man rotation usually in in the playoffs? Yeah, I guess. The, the,
2: the division series three man, the championship series and four, World, and then the World series, series yeah. four. So
1: so th- that's pretty good, and then. Uh, you know, you can Maeda can have, uh, some good stuff. Their, uh, their
2: depth is what they're like. They've got like 10 guys. Yeah. you
1: is out now with a suspension. Um, so that's gonna, gonna hurt them. a, a young oh. lefty. Uh, but they also have a, uh, you know, good back end as well. Like they I think the, you know, starting pitching, I think they were one or two when it came to ERA and, uh, you know, their bullpen is, you know, in the top six. So, um, I, I think, listen. If the Dodgers don't get Clayton Kershaw a World Series title, yeah. it's criminal.
2: Dude, I, I'm I'm worried about their bullpen. I know they have got depth. Like I'm not they have enough guys. Why didn't why can't we go get Felipe Vasquez from the Pirates if we're the Dodgers? Mm-hmm. Like at what point is it what do you want? We want this ring, yeah, no when, matter when, what.
1: When do you want to get Kershaw his ring? Now or when he's like a consultant for the team?
2: <laughs> what happens if Kenley goes down? Yeah. And I'm I'm a huge I love Kenley. Kenley's like the, yeah, he's the consistent, poor, yeah. poor man's Mariano with yeah. that cutter. He's, he's been consistent. doing it for years. But there's a there's there's n- more than a hint of regression there. He still gets it done, but the body's wearing, it's a long season. What happens if we run into this at the end of September that Kenley's not Kenley
1: runs out of gas or runs
2: out of gas or just flat out is on the D L or the IR and we didn't go get that arm. Like you didn't go get that arm. Mm. How many years did we do this? I'm worried about that happening. We watched the Astros just stock up. What what's the deal here? Yeah. Like the I The Braves I, stocked up. The Braves are trying to beat the Dodgers, so they went and got three arms for yeah, their bullpen. But
1: they don't the, yeah, and and they got a, a starter in um uh, Well they, yeah, they had him, but they yeah. got
2: Green, Melanson, and uh dude from Texas uh
1: right. But the, the, the I don't think anybody matches those three starting pitchers right now.
2: Even the Astros th- front three in
1: the in the National. Okay, League. yeah,
2: dude, I, like those Braves kids, the, the Soroka. Soroka is basically
1: yeah. Now think about the playoffs. A little yep. bit of extra pressure. Oh
2: shoot, dude! Playoffs. Come on, man! Just another another day in the yard.
1: You you let go, Mike Fires. <laughs> what are you talking about? You put R. A. Dickey in your top five of all time for staff. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you're right. I have no idea about pitching. I'm a hitter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we we unfortunately don't have an idea what's going on with the future of the team. But uh, through this show, all season long, we've tried to put forth the positivity of the Edmonton prospects and the Western Canadian Baseball League. Uh, everybody can improve. We can all be better at what we do. Um, I just hope the city of Edmonton, at the very least, makes it a fair process. And they do their due diligence on whatever decision they make. You're on pins and needles right now, unfortunately. It's the way it goes. Yep. Uh, try to be patient. Uh, you can work on some uh, namaste yeah. uh, uh, effects or whatever we yeah. can do. Uh, but uh, as hard as it's going to be, stay patient. And, and hopefully the, the best comes out, uh, the best outcome for you guys comes uh, forward. And, yeah, and we'll keep you posted that, you know. on this
2: show every week. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Dino.
1: All right. Uh, that's wrapping up episode 13 of the Prospects Baseball Show. We'll talk to you next Monday. Ban the shift.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. It's a grand slam.
3: And that's the ball game.